there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Welcome to Net Zero Carbon, a show at Freight Waves that focuses on sustainability and transportation. I'm your host, Dana Gomez, and today, pleased to be joined again by Sam Stockdale, the Senior Vice President at Link Logistics, who heads up sustainability efforts. Sam, thanks so much for joining us back. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back. So we were had the, we had the privilege of talking over this summer. Um, it really set us here at the at Freight Waves on a journey of understanding you know, outside of tailpipe emissions, what's happening in the space, what can people do? Um, and it's been, you know, it's been educational for us. And I think having this second conversation is timely as well. Um, you know, for the benefit of those who didn't get to hear your introduction on the first interview that I recommend for people to check out, um, do you mind just giving us a little bit of your background, kind of your story, how you got to Link, how you got pulled in sustainability? And then for those who aren't familiar with Link, just providing a background on what Link Logistics does. Sure, you bet. Um, so I'm Sam Stockdale, Senior Vice President, and I lead Energy Sustainability ESG for Link Logistics Real Estate. Link Logistics is the U.S. platform for Blackstone's e-commerce or distribution warehouse assets. And so we are a relatively new company, started in, I think, May of 2019. Um, but we are large, right now, 534 million square feet and counting um, across over 3,000 assets. Um, I personally came to Link by way of JP Morgan, where I was vice president of energy sustainability globally. So a similar scale as Link here, we had about 5,000 Chase Bank branches, 28 data centers, and 63 or 63 office locations. Um, or sorry, a thousand office locations in 63 countries. Um, and then before that, I was the director of portfolio operations at Tishman Spire, where I really ran the gamut of asset management, construction, operations. And, and that was really where I started to get into the, the energy and sustainability business, where I, le- I led their lead program. I led their energy purchasing and trading program, um, as well as a couple of other base building infrastructure and construction programs. So um, I think uh, you know a, a good background across all the different uh, management verticals for commercial real estate. Yeah, that's super relevant. And I think a lot of wealth that we're going to try to extract from you in the next 25 minutes. Um, so one of the things that you know we're going to focus on in the conversation today is around net neutrality um, and what firms are doing. And so I think just for context, um, for those who aren't super familiar um, with carbon offsets, I want to just set the stage a little bit. Um, and so basically what's happening in the marketplace today is that there are a bunch of developers who are going out and um, investing in, in projects that are sequestering carbon, um, whether that is carbon capture or reforestation or um, protecting um, deforestation. Um, And so those projects are being developed and then um, those projects are getting registered with one of the trusted registries around the world. And um, as those projects sequester carbon, they mint these carbon credits, voluntary carbon credits. Um, And then there's a marketplace where those things can be purchased. Either they're purchased directly from the developer or they go into kind of a secondary market and they're traded around. Um, And they all have very different characteristics. Again, geography, project type, um, co-benefits, what registry is uh, done with, who who developed them. And it's a pretty nuanced space. And I think as we started to talk about it, um, you know, one of the things that we internally were we're really just discussing is 
God, this is a lot for someone to digest who isn't going to be in this market every day, who's going to be coming in and trying to understand how they can mitigate their emissions um, and what are the tools available for, for them to do it today. And I think, um, you know, the carbon credits themselves are a way for them to, I always talk about, like, just think of a balance, right? You you go in and you 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 measure what your emissions are and that, you know, that is your carbon footprint. And you can do things about that operationally, efficiency. Um, and then there's also the ability to claim net neutrality, where you're basically saying, hey, this, I've done as much as I can today to reduce my emissions, but there's not enough tools yet out available or the market isn't developed enough in renewables or alternative fuels. So there's just a portion that I can't abate today. What am I going to do about that? And a lot of firms are um, taking the charge and stepping up and say, hey, we're going to offset those using carbon credits. Um, and again, you know, for us, Sam, I think in talking about it, what we hope over the next um, you know, 20 minutes that we can uncover is, you know, what are some of the challenges that you face in interfacing with that market? How have you approached solving some of those challenges and really talking through what link logistics strategy is for themselves? Because you, you, you have an ambition to, to, to meet your own goals, but then you also have um, the opportunity, I'll say, to empower your customers to meet their goals as well. And so, you know, hopefully setting the stage on kind of what, what these things are and people are looking to purchase them to offset their, their offsets. And there's a lot of nuances there. What did, how did you guys start to interface with the market and what have you chosen to do since then? Yeah, I, I, I actually, I think, I really think you hit the nail on the head um, in that these are complex markets that are nuanced and, um, and are imperfect as they're dynamic. And this is a science that is progressing over time uh, to become more mature and more uh, deliver more environmental impact. But I, before I get into the link part, I think it's important to understand I've personally been involved in carbon markets and using offsets, either RECs or carbon offsets specifically, in part to achieve sustainability goals for over a decade. Um, I participated in over a dozen projects globally. This is a big part of my role in my prior life at JP Morgan, where I ran their offset program. And so I, I have reasonable, uh, a reasonably deep knowledge. Um, and, I've, and I've seen a lot of changing, even in that short amount of time over the last um, almost 10 years in participating in these markets. So I, I think it's also important to understand that at Link, we are very much taking a crawl, walk, run approach to offsets. Um, and I think that you, you've also raised a good point and that there are many different offset types and not all offsets are created equal. So let's try to break it down for a second. Um, for Link, um, you know, I believe why you've, why you've invited me on here today is because we have made a forward purchase and partnership with the Nature Conservancy and the American Forest Foundation to plug into their um, their family forest carbon program on a five-year offset purchase, which will help us achieve our carbon neutral operations goal. Um, the key thing here is the operations part. Um, so in comparison to a net zero goal at Link, our carbon neutral operations goal really only applies to our scope one in our scope two um, emissions. And so the bulk of our emissions profile is a is, is scope three, 90, uh, gosh, 93%, 93% of our goal is, is scope three emissions. And so that's because in a triple net business, like an industrial real estate, tenants control the utilities and therefore um, that emissions is outside of Link's boundary of control. Um, and so right now, because Link, again, we're a three-year-old company, 
Um, we really require the data environment for how we estimate and calculate the scope three emissions to mature a little bit before we proceed on, on you know, on, on making a decision around a, um, a net zero goal. In the meantime, we do have very good data on what we control as the landlord. And that is our scope one and scope two. And so it's, it's, if, um, for those of you that, that did watch our last, um, our last program together, a big part or a big theme of our programming is fixing it for ourselves first before we invite our customers to participate. And so our approach to offsets is the exact same. Um, and so the, the offset deal that we're pursuing really represents about 2% of our overall, um, emissions footprint. And, um, and, and I, and I think what's, what's really cool and nuanced about this specific project, and you touched on this, and I want to make sure that it's very clear to all of the listeners. Many times, um, corporates or, or any organizations that participate in markets do so in arrears. So that means, just like you said, Danny, a company, they calculate their carbon footprint. They say, how many offsets do I need? And then they go through either a direct project or through an environmental desk and say, we need to um, purchase X amount of offsets to offset our carbon footprint, right? So they're essentially taking delivery of an environmental benefit that already exists. Uh, our partnership with Nature Conservancy, and again, I've been, I've been personally working um, with the Nature Conservancy for over seven years, um, actually. And I find them to be some of the, the best counterparties, um, esteemed educators, uh, and some of the best um, climate scientists in the world. Um, you know, they, they really allow us a new pathway to catalyze the creation of new offsets. So what we're doing is we're making an investment today or making a forward purchase today um, in advance of carbon offsets being created. And then we will take delivery of those offsets starting in 2025 when our carbon neutral operations goal hits through 2029 um, and retire them against Link's profile. And, and, and again, it's, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, a low single digit percentages of our total emissions profile. Um, and, and while we're, we're excited about this project, it's still only a very small piece of all the steps that we're taking. We're, we're investing hundreds of millions of dollars over a shorter time frame, three or four years for LEDs and similar orders of magnitude across fleets and renewables and other adjacent initiatives. But, um, I think the other just two very quick, um, things to point out here that I hope will, will, spur some um some more some more discussion um this this instrument with the american family forest foundation we also like it not just because it allows us to catalyze the creation of new offsets but it's local and um rather than using land masses in international um or, or in other countries where you really need the hectares which is generally how offset programs are created you need huge amounts of, of land um we're, we're, we're able to plug into a program where the Nature Conservancy and American Family Forest is aggregating all of these individual landover, landovers into the mass that you need to create an offset program. And so we're actually, we're keeping this in forward investment in the communities where we operate, which aligns very well with one of our, um, our ESG principles of leaving communities where better than we found them. So we're keeping it all right in the communities where we operate. And then, I think the last part that, that I think is even more um, applicable, and, and, and again, drawing on the theme that we talked about from our last conversation about people, this is one of the few programs that connects the environment and people, where you're actually investing directly into local family farmers through the Nature Conservancy and American Family Forest Foundation to help them um, not only 
stay on their land by offering them new sources of revenue, but work with licensed foresters to help and enhance those forests through a, a whole, um, you know, a whole list of practices. And so that kind of trio of factors really got us interested in this specific program. Uh, but, you know, I'll, I'll say this program was right for us. There are many programs out there. And of course, any company or organization that's interested in offsets needs to do their, their due diligence, just like any, any financial instrument. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think you hit on all of the parts that we totally hope that people are thinking about, you know, like, how does how close is this to my business? But, you know, there's so much. Um, it's so easy to just go on to one of these um, and offset offering. There's a lot of APIs out there. There's a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of just grabbing offsets to point to. Um, but finding the co-benefits that match with your business, finding um, the regional side that matches with your footprint in terms of where you operate, I think is is spot on. I love that you guys are doing that. In terms of getting more specific and what is happening within these programs, is it about agriculture? Is it about forestry? Just want to learn a little bit more. We we did an episode here on agriculture, so it's um, you know a topic that we're we're passionate about as well. Perfect. All right. So this is this this is like the the best conversations that I get to have because um, you really get to dive into the the complexities of the program. I think the um, one of, one of the one of the really interesting things about this program is, is first of all the standard, and so um, this is the the new Vera standard offered by by VCU, um, and really what what it allows for is enhanced methodology for calculating baselines um, that try and project different levels of sequestration or opportunity for sequestration given the forest type. Um, but it's important to, to kind of understand that piece. It's important to understand how these markets even get created. Um, and so this specific program was created through a philanthropic investment by way of Amazon's Climate Fund. And so the way it generally works, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not a scientist. And so I, this is all this is all based on what I've, uh, my discussions with the Nature Conservancy over the last year, which is about how long it took us to get this project over the finish line. Um, but you need the philanthropic investment to actually deploy scientists to understand the carbon sequestration potential of the land, right? Um, and so if you take this by example, if you were to take the, the Eastern United States region, a region, part of the Appalachian Valley, um, which is where many of the, um, the offsets or the local family farmers are, are located, really kind of on the, on the Eastern part of the United States. Um, through the investment, it takes, you know, a year or six months to determine what kind of offset um, is or how many offsets they're capable of delivering over a certain amount of time, typically on a 10, 20 year forward basis. Um, and then once that's determined, that will go into what's called our, you know, the co-op or the credit pool where all of that is aggregated. Um, and almost like for those of you in the construction land where you have, um, you know, construction agreements with set aside that allow for insurance, uh, this program really operates the same way, um, where usually 5% of your contracted quantity gets set aside and really an insurance pool to ensure that off-takers like Link um, have a mechanism for shoring up backfalls uh, or shortfalls, rather, related to the program that give us comfort that we're actually going to get delivered the amount of offsets that we're, that we're targeting. The other part that I think is important to understand is, is these are notional agreements, and so what that means um, for those of you um, with high energy acumen who understand the VPPA world, 
These are generally as generated instruments because they're based on climate science projections for how many or how much carbon um, the space can sequester. Um, and so the, the co-op and the aggregation across all these lands becomes very important as you start to scale these programs. And so you really have the, 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 the philanthropic investments that actually allow for the science and the projection to understand potential. And then you have the off-takers like Link that are the ones that are actually um, providing the revenue and the sources of income from farmers to work with AFF and TNC to do um, things like one of the practices of growing mature forests. Um, and so those can be the difference between um, felling trees that are diff- have different um, types of carbon sequestration potential, making sure that invasive species um, are being removed because if they, if they have less carbon sequestration potential, Again, not a climate scientist, um, but these are these are some of the things that the licensed fa- the licensed foresters work with the local families to ensure are happening, and then they monitor. Um, and in the future, they'll be monitoring via satellite. Um, but right now, they, they they monitor on a very regular basis to ensure the practices and, and um, projections are are being met. So it's a it's a really cool program that I think um, speaks to the evolution of this science and really and, and how offsets are, are being created because this is this is a dynamic space. And I think one of the cool things that I'm proud of is that investments for for purposes like ours, this is what allows for the progression um, of the science into the future. Um, and, and, and I think, and we don't have to get too far into this, but the Inflation Reduction Act and their allocation of over $30 billion for natural climate solutions, I, I really see as huge macro level support that some of the best instruments for fighting or for fighting climate change, they already exist in nature. You know, we have to get to a place where, where we fine tune the science to take advantage of that. That's awesome. I love it. Um, so much to unpack there. I think, you know, even just what you were saying earlier, how long you've been in the industry speaks to, I think the maturation of what has been going on has kind of been going on in the background. Um, and we just have in the last you know, two to three years, this groundswell of support that have allowed an inf- you know an influx of capital to help take advantage of the tools that professionals like yourselves and others have been developing over the last decade, right? And now we can, through the partnership structure, and this is what you talked about on the last, like how important these partnerships are. We all can't be experts of everything that we we need to rely on firms who've been doing this and pulling them into these conversations. So. This kind of tri-party partnership, I think these are the kinds of things that we love to see. Um, and so one thing I think that you that I was going to ask you about that you, that you spoke to is the Ford purchase. And for those, I mean, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. It happens a lot in commodity markets, right? And so um, it is a clear signal, like you said, to um, to the market, to those to those partners that you're there for, you know, for long-term support. And then it allows, you know, rather than developing these carbon offsets and hoping that there's buyers when you bring them to market, you can have a direct um, partner with a long-term commitment, which is super important. Um, You know, Sam, just as you think about the market and, you know, like you said, you're, you're helping with this effort to mature these types of um, initiatives. We've seen this by other big corporates as well, right? We've seen this from Apple, um, the fund that they were putting together. It seems like there's a theme here that the 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 leaders in um, in the industry 
are are paving a way where rather than going to the secondary market and purchasing them to really be having these deeper partnerships um how do you see the market like the the two the two markets playing with each other right where you've got these longer commitments but then there is still this you know i look around at these different um offset exchanges air carbon expansive TVCM, there's a lot of marketplaces that are popping up to help kind of with the spot market. How do you see the two interplaying? It's a, that's a great question. Um, to be, so this is, I'll, I'll, I'll give you kind of my, my personal perspective because, you know, we're, we, we at Link have no intention of playing in the spot market or trying to time investments for, for you know, how the carbon markets move over time. I, you know, we're, because we are going to be um, retiring these against our own footprint, not trying to resell them. Um, so I want to. I just want to make sure that that part is clear. But there, this this is how I perceive the forward investment, and the forward investment really is a um, fixing our price in the future. It's a hedge, right? Uh, or at least that's how I think of it, and that's how I try, how I tried to explain it when I start, first started having conversations with our executive team and, and the Blackstone real estate team. Um, but this is carbon markets generally is a increasing cost markets. We think. Because it is a um, an increasing commitment environment right now. So when you think of all of the different companies, private and public municipalities that are making, to your point, net zero commitments, um, they're making carbon neutral operations commitments or renewable energy commitments similar to what Link has today. In the near term, um, all of those commitments will achieve or will require offsets to achieve in some way, shape, or form. Um, and so. I believe that that will put upward pricing pressure on the offsets market because you can't create offsets out of thin air. You actually need to um, prove in order to certify them against one of the standards that you are creating an additionality, i.e. an additional benefit that otherwise wouldn't have existed but for your participation in the program. And that that can take years. For this program, it takes three years um, for us to actually make an investment today and retire it into the future. Which again, the timing is one of the reasons why we why we selected this project. Um, but the the hedge for where we think upward pricing pressure is going, just on the um, on the carbon markets, we think that this is a good business decision, with the knowledge that we believe that we are going to be using offsets um, as part of the instrument instrument mix to achieve our goals, um, albeit a small a small percentage. But still, uh, and so, so again, we, we really kind of saw this as a, we can fix our costs now using a project that we believe has the highest integrity in the market today um, to insulate ourselves against potential upward pricing pressure in the carbon market starting in 2025. And, and, and really, really the way to think about it is our exposure, had we been buying in arrears on the spot market, similar to how many, many do it today, we would actually be buying that offset at a 2026 price, which is when we would be measuring our carbon footprint um, with the intention of offsetting our 2025 emissions. Um, and so, so from the economics and the hedge um, position, we think this was a really appealing opportunity um, for us to lock in a, a price that was that you know that we also thought was reasonable. We thought we thought the price for the project was fair, and of course. Pricing is based on volume and tenor and all the other things for any kind of forward agreement. Uh, but that was that was a real big part of, of why we found this specific instrument and partnership with the Nature Conservancy attractive. 
Yeah, that's great. I think what I hope people take away from this conversation is one of the things, at least, um, is that the voluntary carbon markets are playing a very important role. Right? I think there is some skepticism that comes with um, with these markets because I think just there's an unfamiliarity with it. And I, um, I think people worry that there's that there is um, a, a temptation to to use them and to not make real investments. I think the good thing, and I, you know, I'd love to have you back when you talked about the first time is like the real investments that you're making also um, in reducing your emissions and using these as a tool. So I think we all, we often say how there's many, there's many tools in the toolbox and um, we need to get familiar with all of them. So hopefully this encourages um, firms to do that and to understand that um, to, you know, there's a lot of ways to interface with this market, but one um, I think that allows for, bilateral direct dealing with um with project developers is a very interesting place for people to try to investigate and not just take that low-hanging fruit from kind of the spot market and you gave some really good reasons on why you wouldn't want to do that um sam these conversations are always super informative and often go very fast and there's so much more um uncover here um we really appreciate you coming on the show again um for those who want to you know be connected with link and yourself what's the best way for them to do that can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Um, my email address is on the linklogistics.com website. So um, especially if you're customers, um, we, we really want to hear from you. Part of the reason why we're participating in a program like this is because we want to be able to play a role as a trusted advisor for customers who have similar ESG commitments and have similar requisite appetite or appetite for offsets. And so we're, we're trying different mechanisms that we, we believe are going to be relevant for, for many of our customers. And so I, 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 that, that's part of what I'm, what I'm most excited about. And, and Danny, I, I wonder if you'll let me plug one thing, because I do want to address um, the skepticism in the market for these types of instruments just very briefly. And, and, and I want to say, I, I think it's warranted, and these markets are imperfect, just like financial markets, but I personally welcome the scrutiny. And I welcome the scrutiny because... I, I believe, at least, that's what drives the science forward. And that's what um, drives improvements on new standards that are developed for baselining or rebaselining the methodology for sequestration. And so I, I actually think the scrutiny is a, is a good thing because it's going to hold us all accountable. Um, and, and I really want to also just tug on the one thread briefly that completely agree that, that companies who use offsets as a complete means to achieve goals, that's that is obviously, we think, not an environmentally robust um, strategy, and and that's why our program we're using offsets as a as, as a very small piece. Um, but like I said, we acknowledge that it's an important piece, and it has a, and it has a role to play. And so we're we're excited to be able to start to even be in this conversation with you, frankly. So we're 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 really excited that we can participate and try to be part of the equation that drives all this forward. Awesome. Thanks so much. And um, we'll definitely have you back. There's so many more things I want to pick your brain on. So appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Bye. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.